Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 95 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer alongside my man Mike Zabo. Joey Jozinka on hand with you. Our other co-host Ian Schreier is on continued paternity leave. We do wish him well and we do hope that his uh, presence does come sooner rather than later. But again, other things do take precedent. Mike, good to see you, sir. How are things on your side of, uh, of this, uh, this lovely island? Uh, doing great. You know, just trying to enjoy every last day of summer before it quickly goes away, before we even feel like we fully enjoyed it. Yeah, you ain't kidding. That's honestly why I'm outside right now. I decided to get everything from from uh, from our studio, bring it right outside, enjoy the last few days of summer or the last few weeks of summer, rather, or the way it's been feeling lately. It has been feeling like, you know, last few days with the, you know, the way the nights have been going along. Mike, good to see you, and we do hope that episode number number 95 is just as good as the way it turned out last week with episode 94 and also with the extension, of course, with Pride of Detroit's Jeremy Reisman. So now let's get you started with our topics of this evening. It's going to be a ton of fun. We will be previewing the NFC and the AFC South with our good friend Evan Winter from A to Z Sports, the managing editor, who... Uh, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as well as a couple of first-timers. We'll be having Jake Arthur, the deputy editor of the Horseshoe Huddle on Sports Illustrated, covering the Colts. And uh, from 8.30 to 9, as we did say about Evan, but first, 7.45 to 8 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be having Steph Stradley from the Houston Chronicle. She is one of the lead reporters that covers the Houston Texans. So we've got a fantastic show on ta- on tap today, Mike. We also are going to start off with Major League Baseball. We've got so much to talk about. The Yankees have got the Mets. We also have a little bit about San Diego, which we'll get into a few short moments. And, of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who the word just came down about a few hours ago about starting pitcher Walker. Bueller, Mike, who will be uh, missing the rest of the season and most likely a little bit, and if not all, of the 2023 season due to elbow surgery. Tommy John surgery, this is a very big deal. The Dodgers did not go out, did not get a starting pitcher. Uh, this is a very, very big deal. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's earth-shattering. I mean, this is Walker Bueller. I mean, one of the better pitchers in, the, in all of Major League Baseball. He's a great number two behind Kershaw for the Dodgers, who they've been navigating the season just with him alone being in and out of the team with his injury issues. So losing Bueller, you know, you can be able to work around with with the regular season the way the Dodgers have getting through the NL West and whatnot and how they've continued their dominance the last several years uh, despite the injuries to the rotation this year. Not really going to be able to get past it in the postseason. That's going to be a huge issue uh, for Dave Roberts' team because losing Bueller, a massive, massive loss. He's been such a huge part of the team in recent years. Uh, It's going to be tough. You know, now after the trade deadline, you really can't do anything about it. So it's really who's going to be able to step up internally. How much can they really rely on Tony Gonsolin? and company to hold down the fort the rest of the way. And I think the big question here, Mike, is is that there's so many different players that the that the LA Dodgers have at their disposal, but there is one player who really came into his own a few years ago that a lot of people donned as the flash in the pan of the team, and that was Dustin May, the big right-handed, red-headed kid who really looked like he was on his way to becoming the number three in that rotation just behind the aforementioned Bueller and Clayton Kershaw. And now we're beginning to see a little bit of Julio Urias and his potential revitalization because – 
we remember talking about him, Mike. He was really abysmal, and really he needed to get things going uh, once Tony Gonsolin, uh, once that flame began to, uh, you know, really just almost go out. But Gonsolin's flame is really just continuing to not only spark, but it's igniting even more. Every single start, he's doing fantastically. That's great, but the problem is they need some depth. And, you know, who can they look, who could they look towards, especially with Clayton Kershaw's injury history? Such a tough, uh, such a tough spot. Yeah, I wonder if they wanted to bring Bruce R. Gatterall into the fold, who's typically a, a bullpen weapon. I wonder if they if they move him up and and have him in a little bit of a spot starter role or more of an opener sort of role. I wonder if they, you know, just off the top of my head, if they if they go that route, they could potentially go there. But I, it's a really intriguing issue that the that Dave Roberts is really going to have to maneuver around but I appear that Gatterall who's mostly a multi-inning guy or has the potential to be um, can potentially fill that role for them because if we remember he was of course the prospect that came back in the the deal with the twins and that whole you know circus with uh, Mookie Betts and you know uh, Verdugo and company going uh, to the Red Sox, and then there was Kenta Maeda and, and the Twins and all that sort of stuff, and Gatterall has fantastic stuff, but mostly because of, you know, a lot of the, the previous depth, Gatterall was pushed to the bullpen. He might be a little bit more of a spot starter role. I think that could be an intriguing weapon at Dave Roberts' disposal. Yeah, and also we spoke about Tyler Anderson too, who was another big part uh, of that of that lineup, or ra- rather that rotation. And then also we have to keep in mind too, of course, Yankees legend Andrew Heaney. Mike, uh, you know this is this is a player that uh, has been through hell and back with the LA Angels, with the Yankees. He was traded from the Angels to the Yankees last year, and then uh, he's now with the Dodgers, kind of finding his own back uh, back out. Uh, in La La Land and on the West Coast. But, you know, things are not going great for him or not. You know, he's not he doesn't really have the greatest stuff. We we know that with L.A., uh, with, you know, Anaheim, of course. Um, but there's they have some pieces. But I think this this could be, in, in my opinion, um, something that is definitely shattering to their to their World Series hopes. And I think that for those that might not think that um, that is the case. I think that might need a reality check here. And now you might say to yourself, if you're a Dodgers fan, um, you know, should we have gone out to go get Montas? Should we have gone out to go get a Luis Castillo? Well, and listen, we all know that the LA Dodgers, they always check in. They always check in on all of these players. But was it the right idea to not make a move at all with how deep their rotation is, Mike? Is that something that they are going to most likely regret yeah i think so i think even if it wasn't a montas or a castillo if they uh, maybe would have gone out for someone a little bit even lower uh, on the lower tier than those two guys that that would have even been perfect some of these things you can't really foresee given the fact that uh, they expected bueller and kershaw well especially bueller in this situation to really be in the fold and have not only be in the fold, but have enough time as well to build up and really gear up for a postseason run. So hindsight is always twenty twenty. If this never happens, we never really question whether they should have gone out to get a rotation piece at the deadline. Now we are because of this news. So a little bit of hindsight twenty twenty. It certainly shouldn't have uh, hurt them with the elite farm system that they have to go out and, and go out and get a starter there to, to fill that role. But 
you know, to go off your earlier point, I certainly think this injury definitely got to take the Dodgers down a peg or two in terms of your World Series contenders on the National League side. There, there's absolutely no doubt. You look at the Mets' pitching. Uh, you look at how strong of a year the Padres have had. Um, you look at uh, even the Braves. What if they wind up finding lightning in a bottle uh, in the postseason, of course, the defending World Series champions? Um, the NL is once again going to be really competitive as you get toward the playoffs, and I think not having viewers seriously going to damage their chances. And it's very funny that you bring up the NL East and you bring up the Mets, the Braves, the next team that could potentially, um, I guess, go above the Dodgers in terms of the number one seed in the National League, and that's pretty much what everyone is chasing for, especially the Mets and most likely the Braves just right behind them. We think the Padres, I don't know if they're – they're in contention with that. They're really struggling down the stretch, but they're finding ways to win. The Padres are with Juan Soto and really an amazing, um, in, in, an amazing lineup from one to nine. They're giving the Dodgers a run for their money. You know, we were talking about it yesterday, Mike, at a family party. We were talking about who is the best number nine hitter in all of baseball. And I would have to go with Cody Bellinger because that's where he is right now, you know, and, and, and the Padres, you know, they've got, they've got solid one through eight. Um, you know, with their shortstop uh, being, you know, I guess we can call it the one, the one weakling, if you will. But C.J. Abrams was a part of that Juan Soto deal going back to Washington, who, by the way, is making his debut uh, tonight with the uh, with the Nats. Uh, one of the one of the top prospects in the deal going back, but um, it, it's definitely it's definitely tough to see who might go or might leap over or leapfrog, if you will, the L.A. Dodgers. Could it happen? Maybe it won't happen. We'd have to definitely take a peek and see uh, what the deal is there. Uh, Let's keep on moving forward here, Mike, just because, of course, we do have a couple of, uh, or rather, a trio of guests here beginning at 745. We'll be having a little bit of a break in between as well before Jake Arthur comes on to chat the Indianapolis Colts. But let's stick here with the uh, in the world of baseball. There's so much to talk about with the New York Yankees. There's so much to talk about with the Mets. Where do we begin? All right, we begin still out west with Fernando Tatis because that might just be the biggest news. Uh, Mike, Fernando Tatis suspended 80 games he took uh, something called it was a it was a, a steroid that is supposedly, according to what he says, uh, it's an anabolic steroid that was used to um, help him heal uh, with his with his injury. Now we do know that always the um, the the list ever grows, forever grows uh, in the in the the steroid department. There are so many different drugs being made, so many different steroids, so many different antibiotics that are being made that the the teams in the league, or rather the organizations, the leagues, they cannot keep up. And that is and that's the truth. We know all about the Maria Sharapova scandal that it simply did not. Um, you know, she did not know what the deal was, um, when in her recovery from shoulder surgery as a tennis player, uh, now Fernando Tati says, you know, he would never do that to jeopardize anything. Uh, Robinson Cano, another one. There's so many different players out there that say that they don't know about this, but in my opinion, Mike, and this is where I want to begin here is that a lot of these players make so much money that they should hire a specific team, especially when they're taking all these different types of drugs, right? And all these different types of steroids, they could be even, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to call them trials, but they should be able to hire a team and have someone look out for every single drug that is being taken and really see if it is on the league's uh, um, prohibited list. Do you agree or disagree on that? 
I, mean, I would agree if certainly that's the case. I've I've heard the the story that uh, Tatis is putting out there, but um, there there are rumors too that the doctors are refuting that that would be the case that uh, that uh, chemical like that would be used in terms of the uh, in terms of the treatment. I've heard that flying around as well. So who knows if his statement is actually true or not? But if it is true, I mean, yeah, sure. The, these athletes uh, don't uh, may, maybe don't always know every single ingredient in terms of what they're putting in their body. Certainly one's coming, you know, trying to rehab from an injury. Um, certainly the, I, I, I'm sure Tatis maybe didn't mean to, or any other examples of these athletes maybe didn't mean to wind up using a banned substance or something like that. And, you know, just claim ignorance and short, it could be really useful to have people, uh, look after this, um, you know, look after these substances and make sure that these guys are following the the right policy and nothing's being done with malice or whatnot. But um, I have heard too about Tatis that uh, that situation, the story that he's claiming is not false, is not true um, based on certain doctors' things. Um, I have heard that going around. So we'll see if it's completely true. But I mean, that is just a mess of a situation because Going into the, the contract stuff, I mean, we know Tatis has a massive extension um, that he signed yep. uh, a year or so ago. And now it's down to, I think, 13, million, 300, uh, 13 years, uh, 300 million plus that, you know, San Diego has, of course, to pay him, taking him through most of his prime. And you heard the reaction of a lot of clubhouse guys that, you know, uh, Mike Clevenger basically just saying, you know, we hope he grows up from this. I think the, yeah. the biggest quote was, of course, Manny Machado's quote, where he said, you know, we've gotten to this point without him. Uh, yeah. you know, and that was if you're Fernando Tatis and you're sitting on the couch hearing that, that's like, whoa. And not that he's wrong, but I mean, certainly if you're <laughs> Fernando Tatis, uh, I wouldn't be surprised you take that a little bit personally. The way he worded that and was like, oh, yeah, whatever. He, he, he hasn't been with us all year. Uh, we've gotten to this point without him. No reason. You know, we can't continue to go on without him and do really well the, the rest of the season and into the postseason, which, I mean, that was really telling. And again, not that he isn't wrong, Machado. I mean, there's nothing you can do but keep on moving on. But clearly, there's some clubhouse friction that um, I believe we'll hear more about in the offseason. If, if there's any serious things there, my God, this becomes a mess for the Padres. And that contract just becomes an absolute albatross. And and not only that, too, I, I love the way you brought that up, too, because when you say to yourself about this potential clubhouse issue and someone that really you can't trust in the clubhouse, could that also be um, if they can get things going with Juan Soto, if Juan Soto can really find his footing, do we potentially see a move to be made that, you know, where the untouchable tag comes off of um off of Fernando Tatis and potentially they make Juan Soto and Manny Machado the, the the two new faces of the franchise and they move on from Fernando Tatis. Is that far-fetched or is that too early to tell? I think it's too early to tell. I think we'd have to find out in the offseason uh, what, kind of, what kind of interest there would be or in what sources say in terms of that. But I, I really don't know right now what GM would want to take on that kind of contract. And now it seems like you have that sort of baggage and you're going to take on a 13-year, 300-plus million dollar contract. Uh, 
I don't know if that's really a commitment that any GM would take on right now. I, I think the off season would give us a, a better picture, but I think one way or another, the Padres are going to have to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're definitely gonna have to make it work. And then on top of it too, um, Hassan Kim is the, uh, is the starting shortstop now. Uh, pretty much for the rest of this season and looks like into next year too. We brought up about how this team has really a solid one through eight. Um, you know, the way it looks also, and keep in mind too, what, what this team needs, they just really needed, you know, an eight and nine batter um, to really, I guess, complete that entire one through nine. Um, Austin Nola, Hassan ha- Kim, uh, but the rest of the lineup looks fantastic. You know, and we include Will Myers in there too. He has an off night tonight. Uh, they're down in Miami. Uh, they're right now trailing one nothing to the Marlins. Uh, Joe Musgrove is pitching. Um, but again, this is this is a Padres team that if they don't get things under wraps together, or if they can't get things together, uh, this will be a uh, this will be yet another failure for AJ Preller. And uh, this is the part where uh, Preller will most likely lose his job. And uh, I don't see him getting hired again. But then again, you say to yourself, Dave Dombrowski gets uh, gets hired all the time. So, hey, listen, it's very possible that Preller can find a new job somewhere else. So we'll have to see uh, and wait on that. Mike, let's keep on moving forward here on the primetime rundown episode number 95. And, you know, you look at the New York Yankees who have been an absolute disaster the last few weeks. Um, you look and say to yourself, well, they can't figure out the closer role. They can't figure out what the deal is with Clay Holmes. They can't really get anything going on offense. They were shut uh, shut down yesterday, uh, two hits, and uh, you know it, it was just so bad. It was a two-hour and 15-minute game, one of the fastest games in all of Major League Baseball in, in the history of the game. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Again, I was I was with family last night, and we were watching. We were talking for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden, it was the bottom of the ninth inning. I couldn't believe it. Um, and you know, I, I just thought that it was the sixth. You know, it was like nine ten, and it was the bottom of the it was the uh, top of the ninth. Uh, really, really dangerous stuff that we're seeing here with this New York Yankees team, where they simply cannot get it going on offense. I understand that there's a ton of injuries, sure, um, but they've got a lot of problems. Right now, Mike, what is the biggest one that you see? Well, I think the funny part to start off this conversation is I think remember when we were all talking in June about when you know May and June when this team was on record pace, yep. you know, just ripping off win after win, and you know, we kind of always thought, oh well, if I saw this, I saw this tweet today from a random Yankees fan or whatever, it's so true. That remember, you know, when they were on this record pace and whatnot, we, you know, we kind of all said as Yankee fans in a joking tone that, you know, oh, well, if they go 500 the rest of the way here, they'll still have 100 plus wins and, and all that sort of stuff. I think yeah. when most Yankee fans expressed that sentiment, they didn't think they'd actually see it. But that's really been the case for the better part of a month or, or two months. I mean, I honestly, Joey, I mean, I don't know if my birthday came as a curse or something like that, but ever since my birthday on June 15th, they're 27 and 27. So I don't know if the I had bad juju this year or something or whatever, but uh, ever since June, it's been uh, late June. It's It's been absolutely, you know, 500, uh, you know, 2021 version of the Yankees. That's really what they've gone back to. This is last year's Yankees playing out where you know, every game is close. It's uh, bad mistakes on the base paths. It's, you know, bullpen not being able to shut a game down. The offense be- being shut out or having 
you know, very poor performances. I think the the worst part of this team right now, the 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 main part that's really struggling is the bullpen. Uh, we want to criticize the Montgomery trade all day long, and I certainly will. And you know, that's elevated uh, Domingo Herman into more of a regular starter's role and whatnot. He's actually done well. It's not you know every five days Domingo Herman's coming up the past couple weeks and absolutely getting shelled left and right. He's keeping them in games. He's not the problem. Pitching's not the problem. It's been the you know the offense not doing great, and certainly when the offense does chip in enough. The, the bullpen hasn't been able to close it out. Clay Holmes has looked absolutely terrible the last month. And the rest of the bullpen, too. You've had Albert Abreu give up some big runs. Um, you know, in general, Wandy Peralta's given up a run here or there in later innings. It's, it's really, you know, mystifying. What are they going to do with the closer role? As far as much credit as Mac Blake gets for this pitching staff and, you know, especially his work with Holmes over the past year, ever since the Yankees acquired him, and Holmes has just turned into this beast of, with his sinker-slider uh, combination. Well, I don't know, Matt Juju's got a uh, – Matt Blake has to pull out <laughs> Juju, has to go get the, uh, the pitsy dust and sprinkle it back on Clay Holmes there because I think that's the, the biggest problem with the Yankees right now is their bullpen. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you can see it, too, because, you know, it's very tough, Mike. We've spoken about this, too. Ron Marinaccio was uh, was optioned, and Albert Abreu was chosen to stay up here. Now, I understand that we look back at, at the transactions and the, really the journey of Albert Abreu and how he began on the Yankees. You know, it all started when, obviously— um, you know, he was on the roster. He was a part of the Joey Gallo trade that went to Texas. Texas said, nope, forget it. He's not good enough. And the Yankees decided to re-sign him again. Um, and then ever since then, it almost seems to me like like Brian Cashman is trying to make sure that that mistake that, you know, he's trying to, he has so much, I, I guess we can call it faith or whatever it may be, uh, in this Albert Abreu kid that, you know, they're going to try and fix him to, to be as perfect as they as he can. And, you know, they, they might have to option somebody else. You know, it almost seems like some sort of egotistical thing that I don't know what, what the deal is. But in, in my opinion, any baseball fan can, can notice that Albert Abreu was not having it. And Marinaccio was having it at the time. He looked pretty good. He was, he was giving up a couple of hits here and there, but was never giving up multiple runs. And if I'm not mistaken, Mike, there were a couple of games where at one point Albert Abreu had given up a run in his last five straight games. That's a problem. That is a big problem. And it was, then they weren't regular runs. They were earned runs, too. That was a big deal, too. It's one thing if, if you're giving up a run, but if you're giving up earned runs, too, no, that's, that's really not okay. Um, and then you brought up Wandy Peralta ever since Michael King, think about that. Ever since Michael King broke his elbow and fractured that elbow, these, this Yankees bullpen has never been the same. And they tried piecing it together. Scott Efros, uh, Lou Trevino, who has not been, who has not lived up to the hype either. Um, things have not been great, you know, and it's almost like Mike, they should potentially, I guess we can call it, you know, wait for Zach Britton. Do we, you know, are, are, are we are we really looking forward to that right now to well, see if we can get something in the middle of the lineup in in the middle of the uh, in the middle of that bullpen? Well, well, here's my thing, and the bullpen is just a microcosm of it. Is that I get injuries have been a problem. 
for the Yankees in, in many places, whether it's King going down or whether it's Stanton being out for uh, on the offensive side, being out for a while and all. And, you know, injuries are certainly a problem as well. But it's always every year, no matter what's going on, the Yankees just always seem to hit second gear toward the end of July and through August and, and whatnot. And certainly because of the record pace that they were on in the first half of the year, up until, you know, early June, mid-June, uh, they almost, you had this security with this big divisional lead. All right, we're at this spot, like, uh, unless, you know, we, you know, we all drop dead and forget, really forget how to play baseball, we're going to make the playoffs. And it, it's almost this, inter- certainly from the front office, and like I said before, no player will admit this, but it trickles down from the front office that it's just this internal you know, all right, we could go on autopilot for a while, make sure all the ducks are in row, everybody can get healthy and this and that. And that plus injuries, it's all contributed to this, I mean, laissez-faire summer that they've really had. And in terms of the bullpen, this is my problem, is that the bullpen is the biggest part of the team that's really struggling. And you have two great weapons that you're just wasting away in the minor leagues. Two guys in Marichiano and Clark Schmidt, who have been up this year. They have been up this year. It's not that these are guys you need to call up and all that sort of stuff. They contributed to the Major League roster this year, and they have done well doing so. Why aren't they being called up when this is clearly the weakest part of their team? Scott F. Ross has done well, certainly. But the uh, biggest problem has been a Clay Holmes, Lou Trevino. I mean, it's going to take time. It. You know, clearly in Oakland, it wasn't working out. They're clearly tapping into something that it might take time trying to really enhance that sinker slider and get him to be a real good pitcher. Um, Chapman has certainly come along, but I think we all know my my faith in Araldis Chapman being a closer long term. Oh, we know that. Yeah, maybe he can do fine for a little bit, but um, Long term, I certainly don't have faith in that. I think certainly we are moving in that direction where Aldis Chapman's going to become the closer once again, thanks to Clay Holmes, you know, forgetting his all-star, you know, first half that he had. But it's really, you know, this thing that mind boggles me that these two guys are being left in the minor leagues, yet the bullpen seriously needs help. And Albert Abreu, listen, he has decent, he has some solid numbers this year. I think he has a two, two seven five or two five zero ERA and uh, this year and whatnot. But a lot of those have come from lower leverage innings. And every time he gets put into a high leverage spot, he gives up a couple, you know, big hits. Or just look to the the uh, series against Seattle, he gives up a, a two run homer that. Uh, basically the go-ahead for Seattle, and they wind up winning that game last week. Um, you know, every time he's put into a high-leverage role, he's not done well. Lucas Lickie, I mean, he finally pitched on, on Saturday. He hadn't pitched since, since August 2nd. So what does the front office really think of Lucas Lickie? For a second, I thought he was hurt. And yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we finally saw him on Saturday night. Jeez, where the hell have you been? Yeah. Um, so clearly the front office, I don't know if they really love him. So, I mean, I get maybe for the regular season, they still need, you know, a lower leverage guy, mop-up duty, or just someone to handle a little bit of the workload and give you some depth. But there is no excuse of why 
Ron Marciano, Clark Schmidt, and or, or both of them, should be up on this team. It's just, you really see the moves with this front office, or really non-moves, it really, they say, the saying really goes, you know, actions speak louder than words. With the Yankees this summer, it's inactions that really speak. The fact that the bullpen is such a struggling part of the team, they have two great weapons sitting down there. Uh, Clark Schmidt just pitched like a starter of like six perfect innings with 11 strikeouts. Sure, let's go win a AAA championship rather than bringing him up here and having the, the uh, him help the regular team actually win some games. Or Marciano, who I get there was an injury in between there. He's given up one run since May 29th. I mean, I get there was an injury in there, but I mean, really. And certainly then we could go on the offensive side of the ball, how I mean, look at how Glaber Torres is in such a massive slump. And certainly the lineup uh, suffers with uh, Giancarlo Stanton's absence and whatnot. Miguel Andujar, I'll certainly give him some time. But, I mean, as good of a season as he's had in the minors, he's come up and hasn't really made a, as big of a contribution. There are guys in the minors who are doing really well that you can inject a, a bit of fire into this team with like an Oswald uh, Peraza or Oswald Cabrera uh, in left field and whatnot as well. But instead, it's, and nobody's saying this, but it's probably because of service time is the only reason why that they're down there. And we'll certainly find out if later this week, if that's the case, because I think the service time thing isn't an issue after this week. Yes. But it, it, this, is, this is just my thing. It, it, the bullpen is a microcosm, but this is my overall... What grinds my gears, my grievances yes. with the Yankees is that is just it's just an internal, you know, autopilot right. mode and, and whatnot with them. And there are so many moves that they could call up a Marciano, a Schmidt, a Peraza, a Cabrera to inject some some life into this team here in August. And they don't because there are other priorities, I guess. Well, and you know what? You you bring that up. You you bring up the point about the other priorities. You bring up the point about, you know, the Marinaccios, the Abreus of the world. You also bring up the Clark Schmitz of the world and even what the front office thinks of Lucas Litke. Uh, it's really, really difficult to sit, to, to sit here and, and um, you know, to talk about these guys when, you know, they are performing well down in uh, in Scranton. Uh, and I think definitely just to get even some some sort of life brought in, it's not much, but bring a guy in, and I would say cut off every single bit of communication and really anything you've got on Albert Abreu. Uh, there's not only a reason why he was cut from Texas, but also Kansas City. Our good friend Brian Morales, director of media relations from Wagner College, says this. Hey, guys, currently on assignment as well. B, can't wait to have you on here at some point, okay? We're going to get you on here. Otherwise, I'll have to drag you on. Yankees need to get a spark and quickly bring up the young arms and get rid of Abreu. Don't care. He doesn't have options. There is a reason Kansas City cut him. Not only that, keep in mind also, Texas, too. He was a part of that Joey Gallo trade, and he was pretty much the big reason why that trade went through was Albert Abreu. They had a lot of hope for him, the New York Yankees did, and simply it did not come to fruition. 
And going back, of course, to what Mike had brought up about the, the Miguel Anduar hype and, um, you know, he's on that train. Brian is not. Quote, sorry, Mike, got to disagree. I'm over the Anduar hype. He needs to go as well. Bring all of them up and let's go. Enough is well, enough. I certainly don't have any Anduar hype, but I'm willing to give him a little bit more than, than five games and whatnot to figure it out. But I'll give him maybe a couple more games this week and, and then you'll you'll officially, you know, want to send him back down or, or send him away. I'm really surprised that they didn't trade him there, uh, you know, before the deadline, given the fact that he did uh, issue a trade request in June. It's really strange that they didn't wind up trading away, given the fact that they did bring in Benintendi to fill in the left, uh, the uh, left, left field, field role. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not on any hype there. I just think we'll give him a couple more games before I'll officially be like, all right, this is over, you know, send them down or whatever. But I'm halfway there. I have one foot off of it. Um, you know, it, this is my problem is that it's like we're clearly looking at the Yankees team and the Scranton shuttle. Uh, and this is clearly not the best roster as much as there are injuries. And, you know, they're, they're, the way they're, they're playing is, is not a good brand of baseball at all right now. Guys are struggling uh, left and right. Josh Donaldson's been really bad for for a month or so. Glaber Torres, after having a borderline all-star caliber first half, and really ever since there were whispers on deadline day that uh, teams were calling in on Torres and whatnot, basically almost ever since that point, it's fallen off the face of the earth and, and has gone into such a slump. Uh, and he's hitting 130 since July, uh, since July 30th. It's his, by far his worst stretch of his career. And then, of course, you couple that with all the injuries, um, contributes to how bad they're playing and whatnot. Overall, you know that certain parts of their lineup or their bullpen that we're all looking and talking about, this is not the best roster. And it's, it's clearly because, oh, well, we'll have a Abreu up here and sacrifice one of our, our better players because, oh, he, don't, he doesn't have minor league options. Or we're not calling up an Oswald Peraza or whatnot even though we could use a little better defense at shortstop and maybe IKF would be suited better over at third where he won a gold glove last year. And certainly his bat has some value rather than being at short, you know, it's all, well, maybe it's a service time thing or he's not passing some weird test, even though if you look at the stats, you're like, huh, what stat, what test is he not passing? Um, you know, that, that's just the problem right now with the Yankees is that it's just a laissez-faire sort of attitude to a lot of things, and that comes from the front office down. Um, this is not their best roster, and what, can, what, can they, what would really be best for them is calling up these guys to bring some injection into this, into this team. And the big point about it is they are really lucky that the rest of the division has not gone on a huge run, and it's still a 10-game lead. Because yep. the rest of the AL East has not taken advantage of two months of poor play by the Yankees. And if they did, we'd be having a lot different of a conversation. They really need to pick up the momentum for their own sake to head into September, into the stretch, into the postseason on a much higher note. Sure, everybody can say, oh, well, this is not going to be the finished product when we start playoffs in October. They'll have some guys back or they'll probably get uh, start getting, uh, you know, rolling the, uh, the train and getting the wins a little bit more uh, during the uh, during September and whatnot. But you can't just expect to turn it on and off 
as a player, as an athlete, and certainly the way baseball is such a habitual sport, um, you know, day in, day out, you have these habits and going about things. Um, you know, you can't just turn it on and off. Look at teams like the Mets or, or the Dodgers, two teams in particular that have just gone into overdrive in the summer and have really just, uh, you know, come uh, really just figuring out this team this year as a group, especially we'll get to the Mets in a second, how they're firing on all cylinders. And, you know, they've just started to piece it all together and you really, really feel like they're starting to hit their stride. Those are teams, they have that mentality and they want to finish a season strong. Or, you know, they just go out and with the mentality we want to win rather than other things being a priority. And like I said, they are really lucky, the Yankees, that other teams haven't taken advantage of, you know, this 500 pace that they've been on the last two months or so. Otherwise, we'd be having a much more desperate and serious conversation. You know what's crazy, Mike, how you brought up about the Mets having this different attitude right? We have known the Mets to have pretty stellar first halves, right? And then in the second half of the season, post All-Star break, the New York Mets are known to pretty much go down beyond, uh, you know, sub 500. And they can't get things going and they miss the playoffs by a few games, right? We saw last year that, you know, I believe the over-under on, on the Mets season last year was, I think, 85. And a lot of, and, and a lot of folks that I know had uh, had bet on the under and they had one decent amount of money for it, you know, despite the roster, uh, this New York Mets team, they're already at 75 wins and it's only August 15th. They're going to get it. They'd say they, they are most likely going to get 90, 95 wins. No doubt in my mind. Uh, the, the Atlanta Braves are just right behind them. Five and a half games back. And keep in mind too, the Mets have won eight of their last 10. The Braves have won seven of their last 10, six straight. Um, you also bring up the Houston Astros, or we bring up the Houston Astros too. Uh, the Seattle, uh, the Seattle Mariners, they're eight games over 500, still 13 games back in the division, but that, that one's probably out of reach. They'll be the number one wild card team. Uh, and then you also talk about how this Yankees team, how they've really gotten lucky because the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays, who they're playing right now, um, they've been struggling too. Toronto, three out of their last 10. They, they, they have been three and seven in their last 10. Tampa's pretty much right at 500. They've won two straight. Um, you know, it's not looking great for this Yankees team, but I think that if they make it into the playoffs, which not if, when they make it into the playoffs, uh, they, they will still be the number two seat, excuse me, unless Cleveland continues to, to really do uh, what they've been doing best. Um, and if this Yankees team gets into the, uh, in, into the, into the top two seeds, um, of this postseason, I personally believe that they will get knocked out and it will be an upset, um, an upset for, for, for Las Vegas, but it won't be an upset for us. I think it'll be uh, pretty much known that, that the Yankees um, were going to be a one and done if they can't get things together. You know what, Mike, too? There's something else. Too. This Yankees team, they do not have an ace. Yeah. They I mean, paid for an ace. They paid ace money for Garrett Cole, and he is not an ace. Yeah, he's just really inconsistent. It just You saw that Mariners game where he gets shelled for six runs in, in, in the, the first inning against a really good Seattle side that there's a good chance that they might see in the playoffs. And, you know, they, um, especially with acquiring Castillo, you know, yeah, they're far back in the division, but they clearly made that move to make sure they get over the hump in terms of the playoff spots. 
if they meet them in the, uh, there's a good chance they get to the divisional series and the Yankees might face them. And Cole has shown, listen, I'm, I have faith in Garrett Cole, but I mean, there's been inconsistency after inconsistency. He has a couple of good starts and then, you know, he's the, he has that one start in a fairly big game against, a, a, you know, an opponent who you can consider a contender and, you know, it's a terrible outing and whatnot. And these doubts start coming around. It's like, why are you not able to figure it out? You're getting paid $36 million a year. You should be able to give five, six strong on an almost, you know, every start basis. I know perfection is, uh, is not going to happen or, or whatever, but you know, games like that against the Mariners cannot happen. Um, you know, for being paid that amount of money, you expect almost, you know, once every five days, he should almost be a surefire win. And it seems like those days, which were really more so in his very early Yankee days, are, are sort of gone, where it's a little bit more uncertainty. There's sure a lot more that plays into that. But I mean, the, the there's certainly a lot of inconsistencies with him. And I'm, and, I won't blame cer- certain section of Yankees fans that you go into the postseason and you see Garrett Cole in there and you're like crossing your fingers. Hope, you know, we find the good Cole tonight. It's not ideal. It's really not ideal because, if, again, if you go, and this is pretty much what everyone is talking about, every soul is talking about. We brought this up last week. Brandon Tierney on his show uh, last week had brought up, or two weeks ago, had brought up about how Garrett Cole is not an ace, right? We also have heard that oh, time in and time out that we have heard that Cole is not an ace ever since the uh, the sticky stuff from Major League Baseball uh, was pretty much banned. Was was not pretty much. It was flat out banned. Um, this, you know, the the Garrett Cole hype has really taken a toll. Why? Because it just shows how you see these these pitchers throughout Major League Baseball, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Jacob deGrom, who, mind you, the latter is uh, the greatest pitcher in all of baseball today, despite everything that had happened against Washington and whatever. Things look good, right? For him, things continue to look good. He's throwing 101-102 consistent um, and he's and he is one of the pitchers that has been going uh, six and a half innings plus a game. Right. And it's unfortunate that, you know, his team can't give him run support. Um, but Garrett Cole was paid to be the Jacob deGrom. He really was. He was paid to be the Garrett Cole of the Houston Astros when he was there. Right. The the Cole of old. Right. And. Matt Blake was able to kind of fix him up a little bit, but now we're seeing that this stuff is really bothering him. He can't get it going. He's finally getting in a little bit of groove, but as Mike said, he's completely inconsistent. There was also a deal on the table too. We have to realize, right, that we have heard rumors. Now, this is just a this, these are rumors that we that we have heard, we have read, we have gotten to see all over social media, all over Major League Baseball, that the New York Yankees apparently had a deal on the table for Sixto Sanchez from the Miami Marlins. And that is also why Jordan Montgomery was dealt because Sanchez was going to be brought in as another starter. Ever since the Yankees had lost out on Luis Castillo, it was going to be Montas and Sanchez. Once that happened, the Marlins pulled out of the deal and the Yankees dealt had dealt Jordan Montgomery and they were left with a big ginormous eight ball. Really not great. 
And, you know, and right now, if they look into that eight ball, things are not looking good for the future because they now have, they've pretty much put all of their eggs in the Luis Severino basket that he's going to come back healthy and he will be the number two starter. We saw what Jamison Tyone did yesterday. Things did not look great. Um, and you saw one hit, one run, one run that came in uh, in the uh, in the in the bottom of the first inning, Mike, yesterday on Sunday Night Baseball, that was that was the game-winning run. That was it. And then they tacked on a couple of more later on in the ball game. Two hits. It simply cannot happen. Um, you continue looking. Also, Herman has has looked decent. Um, you know, ever since coming back, Nestor Cortez is pretty much now this 500 guy. Um, you look down the list here and you say to yourself that can there really be this X factor type of player that the Yankees might be able to bring in and say, all right, or not even bring in, but maybe, um, you know, revitalize something or, you know, try and get them back, back up to speed. Glaber Torres has been, uh, you know, has not been uh, the Glaber Torres of 2020, but things have looked decent from him. Again, keyword is decent. Um, Matt Carpenter, an unfortunate injury. Things have not been going great. You know, your final thought on this before we bring in uh, Houston Stephanie uh, 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 Stephanie Shradley. But, you know, Clay Holmes, last thing, do we put Chapman back in? Do the Yankees put Araldis Chapman back in in the, uh, in the closers role? Uh, that pen in my hand is going to be shaking, but uh, I guess for now, uh, uh, reluctantly, I'm going to have to, uh, put that pen down because they have a couple of good relievers, but uh, you know, whether you brought in Skef, uh, Scott Efros or Trevino and they have a collection of pretty good relievers and all, but I doubt many of them you're going to be trusted with in terms of closing. I think for now Boone goes in a, you know, closer by committee sort of uh, procedure, but if what a disaster keeps on, you know, throwing out clean innings like he has been ever since he's come back uh, I think it's sooner rather than later that going forward, Chapman's going to be put back uh, into the closer role. Oh, I can't wait to see what goes on because all I can tell everybody here is is that uh, the Houston Astros are, um, you know, in my opinion, they are in line to uh, to just continue to dominate the American League, and and I know everyone down in Houston is definitely very thrilled with that, ladies and gentlemen. Stephanie Stradley from uh, the Houston Chronicle reporting for the Houston Texans. Stephanie, great to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on here, and uh, you know we're talking some good things about the Houston Astros. Hey, I'll yes. tell you, I'll, I'll be honest here, we're not too fond of them, but. Uh, you know, I'm sure down in uh, down in the Big H down there in uh, in uh, in the great state of Texas, things look good down there, and I'm sure you're having a fun time with uh, with everything during training camp and hearing about the Astros too. Well, the Astros are pretty much taking up most of the conversation because they are actually pretty incredible. Like uh-huh. you got to understand, Houston's got a long time in underdog roles. You know, the Rockets. Their, their okay. two championships came in times where they had the hardest road because they were kind of, you know, the underdogs. The Astros are smashing fools, and it's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, and you, and, and you bring up these, you know, the, the under the underdog role too, because, you know, looking at really looking at with the, the Houston Texans, they, in, in our, in our AFC South uh, preview show here, 
Um, you look at the Houston Texans and you say to yourself that they have a lot of good pieces and we'll get to all of the pieces in a few short moments, but you know, we got to start off with the offense here and you know, there's so many weapons that, that the Texans have that a lot of people really don't know that, that they've got, um, you know, we brought up earlier about, um, or we brought up, uh, actually off camera, we brought up about Marlon Mack, Rex Burkhead is back, uh, Brandon Cooks, Chris Cooley. The, 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 the names go on that these guys have really made impacts around the league during their time. And, you know, if they can get things together, uh, could potentially, you know, make some noise. And the keyword is potentially there. Um, the first thing, you know, we got to bring up here, Steph, is, um, you know, the the offense the, the offense has been through through hell and back and you know from Deshaun Watson to now yeah. Davis Mills to Kyle Allen who it might be um, start off with the offensive coordinator position and you look you know and and, and the role rather Tim Kelly's gone Pep Hamilton's in uh, Chris Conley seems pretty happy but you know how is Brandon Cooks with that too because you know he's another one there and you know he's pretty much the uh, the the guy the 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 big name we haven't really heard much from him because there really hasn't been much going on in Houston. Can potentially uh, Pep Hamilton uh, get this offense going? How have we seen or how do they look? How does everything look with Pep at the helm, uh, the OC role? Well, I mean, I think it's an overall thing. Like if you look at the Houston Texans this year, they're under the radar for most people because they weren't very good last year, yeah. and they were mostly known for things that were bizarre last year. Uh, and I don't need to go through all the details of that. Yeah. And, you know, they pretty much promoted with from within um, with Lovey Smith, you know, being the new head coach. Yeah. And he is now the tone setter. There's less mixed messages between different people. And Lovey Smith is running this like a professional organization. And we'll see how people like Pep Hamilton do like, you know, Tim Kelly did not have a lot of NFL experience before he assumed that role. And they were hoping that he grew and learned into that role. And Pep Hamilton does have experience. He has experience developing quarterbacks and Davis Mills showed enough last year where you were curious to see what he could do. You know, there is the point that, you know, if you look at the rookie class last year, he performed as well or better than some of the people that were drafted higher than, than him. And he had nothing last year. He had no running game. He didn't have an experienced coordinator. He didn't have a ton of weapons. He had no running game to speak of. And yet he still didn't look fully like a rookie. Like early in the season, he had some difficulties, but down the stretch, he did a much better job. And it was enough for people to go, you know what, maybe we should try this out because you know, they're going to have some high draft picks next year because of the person who we don't name anymore and him being traded away. Yeah. And it would be great for the Texans if Davis Mills ended up being the answer because he was a very highly regarded quarterback coming out of school. And then COVID had made a lot of difficulties in kind of evaluating players. And so he came out at a time where he's like, well, I could stay at Stanford or I could be more guaranteed to get developed further by coming into the NFL. And so that's what he's, he's done. And the, the open question to me, and it's something that I don't know, I don't think that the Texans really know yet, is once you get a coordinator who has experience doing this and 
and more leadership at the head coaching position, which they really didn't like. I like David Culley as a human being, but they did a disservice putting him in that role last year. And he was, he did not do a good job as a, as a head coach from day one. Like, you know, he was a positive, encouraging person, but he was not an NFL head coach. Like he should not have been coaching at the highest level of the football. So if you make the choices a lot more normal than they were in previous years. Maybe you just get a bounce of having players being in positions where they can actually succeed. And I can tell you, Brandon Cooks has succeeded even in the worst situations. He's succeeded with multiple quarterbacks. He just, when you watch him play in, in practice he and in games, I mean, he's a professional wide receiver. He's not just an athlete. And they have athletes on both sides of the ball here. So, like, I'd, I'm very curious to see if they can they can kind of get through their learning curve because, you know, it is a transition to a new offense, a lot of new players coming on board. But if you look at this roster, it's like Nick Casario went to the store and said, okay, let's find some really athletic, <clears throat> hardworking people on both sides of the ball and see what we can do and then build from that with what you do next year. But like, I know that there are people that aren't expecting the Texans to do anything because of what they watched last year. But if you look at the position coaches, they are professionals. Like every player, every position coach, you might not necessarily agree with the individuals, but if you look at it as a whole, you can understand why they made those choices. And that's, that's refreshing because a lot of times you were just kind of going, why are you making this choice? Right. And there was, and you know, the, the team itself is just trying to build um, trust back with the fan base and, and with a lot of people in the Texans community. But I think, you know, assuming that they have some, you know, injury luck and, you know, things fall in place, you know, they actually could be a competitive team, particularly in an AFC South that doesn't have any truly dominant teams. Yes. And, and you said that perfectly because, you know, when you look at Indianapolis right now, um, you know, we know what Matt Ryan is capable of. He brought Atlanta to the Super Bowl. We don't have to go any further with that. We know how the, you know, the, the ending of that, of that happened, but we know, we know what he's capable of. We don't know about what's going to happen with Doug Peterson uh, and Trevor Lawrence down in, uh, in Jacksonville. And we have no idea what's going to happen down in Tennessee. So that's why I even brought up too that Houston could potentially be that team that could be that pesky underdog team and you brought it up perfectly when we introduced you Steph is that you know these these uh these teams and Houston being my underdog team of the year um you know when you look at the the quarterback role Davis Mills Kyle Allen who we saw had some sort of you know promise before his injury with the Washington football team last year it looked okay um, you know, we brought up obviously about this new offense. We brought up about how some of these guys are excited, you know, for you covering training camp. Have you seen, is there a specific player possibly like cooks or Conley that are excited to really work with pep and, um, you know, trying to, um, you know, that, that could potentially excel in his system. Oh, I, I think, I think, I think Brandon cooks, assuming that he stays healthy is going to get his yards. Like he definitely showed last year that he had, um, some chemistry with Davis Mills. Yeah. I mean, I think that that will definitely happen. Nico Collins is going into his second year. 
He's a big body target. And actually, if you look at the wide receivers for the Texans, they have a lot of big body, fast targets that Davis Mills can can throw to. And especially with a young quarterback, having those kind of big bodies that can bully teams is, is fairly helpful. Um, maybe a little thin at the, the tight end position. They tried to make an acquisition and that didn't fall, that fell through because of, of, of physical, but like, like there is a completely different energy with this team. You know, like when you're talking about, it's like completely different. And part of it is just the normalcy of things. Like it's just, it's being run very professionally and, you know, I guess the best way of, of me to put it is they have a lot of things in place that you would like to see in a winning football team that they haven't had in recent years. They have a GM who is experienced in doing GM things and yeah. can pick the players that the head coach wants. The head coach can focus on head coaching. He's experienced at head coaching. He knows how to do that and people respect him and follow what he says and follow his lead. It's less about what he's saying and more of what he's modeling. Mm -hmm. The coordinators on both sides experienced at what they do. Position coaches on both sides experienced what they do. Special teams coach. Special teams was a highlight last year, and they brought back the special teams coach last year. And they put an emphasis on it because, you know, if you're one of those teams that really is struggling to get to the next level, sometimes special teams can steal things for you. So they have a lot of the elements of winning in place. The question is, do they have the individuals that can, can do it? And I guess, I guess we get to see, but it's exciting, at least for me, because in recent years, you're like, well, I see what the staff is. I see what the roster composition is. I don't really have high expectations this year. I see some of those more winning elements in place. And it just so happens that the projected strength of schedule is actually pretty weak. So sometimes um, teams can have a big bounce back. Now, actual strength of schedule makes more of a difference in the NFL, but we'll see how this, this turns out. I'm interested to see what they're, what they can do. Mm, Yeah. And you know what you brought up about, about having, um, you know, the pieces in place possibly ran like a like a professional football team. We'll get into Romeo Cornell later on because obviously he was a big impact not only throughout the entire NFL, but mainly the Houston Texans for so many years. But uh, the running game, there was obviously, you know, massive trade years, you know, a couple of years ago. We know all about <laughs> Yon Rihanna. No, we're not going to talk about – no, <laughs> no, 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 we're pretending like that didn't exist. Wait, wait, hold on. Look at look at my pen. Look at my pen. Zap. Okay, that didn't happen. <laughs> well, you know what? Speaking of that, then then we could talk about Marlon Mack. We could talk about what he could potentially bring to the running game. We could talk about Rex Burkhead as well coming back for another or year. We can talk about the standout player from the first preseason game. Damian Pierce ah. was drafted this year and people were like, Hey, you know, they have a number of running backs that are really good, solid vet running backs. Yeah. They can catch the ball. They can pass protect and they can run the football. Yeah. And, you know, there is chain, there have been changes on, you know, for offensive line coaching and there's been an emphasis of, 
okay, let's make sure the offensive line protections work with the offense as a whole, because that has been a problem for years. But Damian Pierce in, in a preseason game, like I am not the preseason hype person. I normally don't hype players, but he is 5'10", 218, and was popping off nine yards a carry, not like just one big carry. And then, you know, that kind of inflated things. He, no, it's preseason. He's running against preseason stuff, but that's some pop that you normally don't necessarily see. Like, yeah, he, you know, he jumped off the page and, and as Lovey Smith said, you know, yeah, it got my attention. It got everybody's attention and, and, you know, clearly people would like to see more of it. Like most of his carries in college were goal line. Well, that gets fantasy football people's attention too. Yeah. Mike, go ahead. Take it away. Yeah. So hi, Steph. Thanks for coming on once again. Um, really, we touched on uh, Damian Pierce and, and really this running game and how they have really built it around him and this solid core of veterans and really seems like this is where, the foundation of the offense is going to be, we are, we know the star power of Cooks, the receivers and all, but is this really the foundation of where, of how really Houston wants to operate and really have this run uh, and have this run game, really powerful run game that helps set the tone in the game? Is that really where this foundation for this rebuild and, and they hope a, a much better year this year, is that really where they want to start? Well, you know, I actually asked that question at camp because, you know, sometimes commit to the run has different meanings to different people. And for a lot of years in Houston, it meant you run on first down, you run on second down, you're not successful at all, and it's third and long. That's not what we want to see. Uh, eventually, it what what's turned out this year is I asked Pep Hamilton specifically what is meant by that. He goes, we just need to have balance. You need to be able to run the ball some to be helpful to your offense, you know, just generally. And the hope, you know, ideally the hope is you put up a bunch of points very early and then you run the ball to shorten the clock. I mean, that's ideally what they want to do. Now, they, they clearly it's helpful to have a running game for a young quarterback specifically. And so I'm sure that they're going to be able to they're going to want to be able to to run the ball. Now the question is, will they be able to run the ball? They haven't, they've committed to the run in the past, but they haven't been very efficient at it. I, I would suspect this year they're going to have um, a lot of volume. It's probably going to be split between backs. It's probably going to be very dependent on who's the healthiest at the time and who's doing all parts of the job of the running back. You know, it's not just running the ball. It's, you know, they specifically said they want all their running backs to be able to catch the ball. So, yeah. I mean, I think that is going to be the direction of the run game. You know, they want more balance on the team and, but they're, you know, they basically want to do whatever it's going to take to get one more point than the other guys. Yeah. Mike, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, just the next question for me really is we, we, you know, we have hope, you have hopeful expectations on, you know, the Texans in terms of a bit of a lighter schedule, uh, a, a division where there isn't really a lot of domination. You know, maybe they can be that sort of underdog and whatnot. Four and 13 uh, win, uh, four win team last year, four and 13 record uh, overall. What's your expectation in terms of, you know, what their win total should be this year? Um, 
you know, and where they could hit in terms of this rebuild? Well, I mean, currently, and, you know, I, I completely understand that they're not favored in any of the games this year. I don't think that uh, outsiders are particularly high on the Texans and they don't really care because it's not a question of what our expectations are. It's just a question like, you know, we, we can do our preseason polls, but you know, they actually play games to figure out who is the champion. So I am going to tell you that this is the best reality program in the world because I don't know how good that they could be. I think the biggest key is, I think that their defense, you know, their defense didn't rank very well last year, but part of that was they were on the field so long that I don't care how good your defense is. If you're on the field a long time, you're just going to wear down. And they could, they showed that last year in the second half. If they can just have a league average offense, I think that the defense, you know, would be good enough. You know, they really focus on getting turnovers and, you know, turnovers are definitely a skill, but there's some luck as to whether or not you get the turnovers back. But that is something that they emphasize as a team. They got turnovers in this preseason game. But and then I think that their their special teams are going to be decent. So if you have decent special teams, just reasonably good um, defense, which, you know, the projections say that key rookies can make a huge difference in a defense in a short period of time. And they got Jalen Petrie at safety and they got Stingley at corner. Now we don't know how quickly they're going to bring Derek Stingley along, mostly because he's coming off of an injury. He didn't play a lot last year because, because of that. Um, But he's certainly a competitor. His teammates say good things about him, but we haven't really seen him in game action yet, but I can tell you in practice he made a play pretty late in, in training camp where even media members made noises. Like you, you're not really supposed to cheer or any of that kind of stuff on the sidelines, but it was hard not to. It yeah. was a one-on-one rep against Brandon Cooks who gets open with regularity and it looked like he was open, but in this particular play, it looked like it was a bait. And uh, Derek Stingley, he just broke up a pass, you know, later on, Lovey Smith joked about, it's like, well, he should have gotten the interception on it, but I can't wait to see what he can, can do. Jalen Petrie in the first preseason game was very exciting to watch. I mean, he, he was everywhere with the ball, even if he didn't make the play, he was in on it. So, I mean, the, like some of the projections say, Hey, if you bring in some experienced good defenders, which the Texans did this off season, you know, not really high profile guys, not really high profile signings, but signings of decent veterans who know how to play football combined with some, some intriguing rookies. I think that this defense could be decent. The question is, can they get off the field? Can the offense do enough um, to keep them off the field? And they're really going to have to, you know, it's all on Davis Mills. Yeah, and and you brought up and you brought up about bringing in some veterans, Stephanie. About you know, especially in the secondary too. And one player, um, really notable. Um, and again, just because I am an Eagles fan, and and, oh. and I saw this and yeah. I did see this go up, but uh, I did see Stephen Nelson, of course. Yeah, he really. It, it listen. There there were times last year he he didn't look great, but you know when you're 
uh, when you do have Darius Slay on the other side here, Steven Nelson is now the focus and the sole point and the, the focal point in this secondary. But, you know, how do you believe that Steve, for, well, first off, I guess we'll start off with how do you, how has Steven Nelson looked in camp? And from what you have gathered during training camp, how has he been a, uh, a role model and a mentor to this first round draft pick uh, in Stingley Jr.? Well, I mean, I think, I think up and down the roster, you know, yeah. I, I kind of wish that that the fans could have conversations with all the players because right. this is a roster of pros and vets very intentionally because obviously the Texans have had some issues in the past and they're trying to rebuild and it's really hard to do that if you don't have people who behave in professional ways. So like he is just one of those professionals that have come in. And I think, you know, there, there is this push, you know, of, you know, like in the past, have had a lot of um, uh, stars and not stars on their team. Yeah. And, and that they could be kind of picked on by the weakest links on their defense. This particular team doesn't have a lot of star stars, but they have a lot of veterans where it's it's more even throughout the roster. And there's some people who believe that if you have that type of roster, it's better than what, what would be termed stars and scrubs. So that is kind of the way that they have built this team so far. And when Lovey Smith was asked about like, well, you know, stars, stars, and he's like, you, you know, the reason why people get names is because of their play. And if we play the way that we we should be able to play, we'll have plenty of stars. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I like that too, especially because, you know, you, you bring up, you obviously you brought up about the names, Fabian Morrow is another, another one vying for a spot in that secondary. Um, we, They're we brought long up and fast. Like, <laughs> like here, I'm going to hold up the roster again. Yeah. It, it's like Nick Casario went, went to Costco after Lo- Lovey Smith said, Hey, I need, you know, you know, bully wide receiver or defensive backs and yep. you, know, you just look up and down. And I mean, their intention is to play a physical brand of football where people, you know, win or lose, people know that they've played the team. They're not making a big noise about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that, you know, I think gets very high profile, but I, I'm actually curious to see how they play because I have, I have no conception none whatsoever like you wouldn't be wrong in in thinking oh you know second year unproven quarterback and you know this team that hasn't done much recently that they will be bad like that's not a hard prediction to make but I also think you know there are some things that are pretty curious about this roster and some things that outside of camp would be hard to detect but you can definitely feel like something has lifted from the football side of camp that I don't think has been communicated to the rest of the world um, as much as it should. Like there's a bunch of good players on this team and, and they believe in what Lovey is, is pushing to them. It's not like, it's not PR. It's more like they feel it. 
Yeah. Now, my my second to last question for you, Stephanie, is, you know, we brought up early on in our in our chat about Adam Shaheen and the trade that that fell through with Miami due to a failed a failed physical. Um, You know, now, obviously, the tight end number one on the flip card is Farrell Brown. Now, if Adam Shaheen, let's just say, you know, for 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 S and giggles, um, you know, if that trade were to go through, if uh, if Adam Shaheen would potentially uh, be, you know, in uh, under a, a you know, no, no, okay, I don't think that's going to happen because of the physical, right? Well, I'm but, just saying, but, right. but, I, but what I do think is like Brevin Jordan is is another young player that they that is very physical. He's kind of like one of those, you know, you kind of small tight end, large wide receiver kind of bodies, and he can definitely physical people. They want to put multiple tight ends on the field a lot and have them be wide receiver targets. I just think that part of that trade was just getting depth. That if you're going to be playing multiple tight ends at a time, you need multiple tight ends. Yeah. Well, I was and they had some injuries during their camp. So like, I think that Nick Cassari is going to be very aggressive filling any kind of needs that come up either through injuries or just performance reasons. So then I guess you pretty much answered my question there with Adam Shaheen, then what would he have brought to the team? And I guess the answer, I guess then you'll go with is just depth behind Farrell Brown. Is that, is that fair to say? You know, I mean, without seeing him play with this group of people, there's no, no telling. I mean, I just think they, you know, whoever, whoever they have out there, they want that person to perform. They don't really have this sense of like, here's our core guys and the rest of them are also rounds. Like if they're on the roster, they want them to contribute, whether it's on special teams or in their designated position, they expect everybody just to be able to play. And I think this year in particular, the younger players may have an earlier role on the team than they did last year. Last year was a very old team generally, and they were very, very reluctant to play rookies. I don't think that they have as much of a reluctance this year. Stephanie, my last question for you, and we can't thank you enough for, for joining us here for, for quite a while here on uh, episode number 95. Um, you know, we, we've gotten to see plenty of times and we always hear, um, you know, a specific standout player in camp. We, we see it sometimes or every year on hard knocks. There's that specific player that they, that, that a lot of these head coaches love. There's this specific rookie, whoever it may be for you covering camp and being there down in Houston. Is there a specific X factor that you think that could potentially make an impact heading into 2022 with this Houston team that we don't always talk about? Well, I mean, Damian Pierce just made it himself. Like, yeah. like if, if his name came out of the bubble of Houston, Texas, where nobody really wants to talk about the Texans because they've been a little bit of a circus in recent years. I mean, even in preseason, he's been, you know, a standout and rookies running backs can contribute right away. And so it's just a question of, okay, can he get the other parts of his game down? But yeah, like Damien Pierce, keep an eye out of, on him in the preseason because, you know, he, he definitely separated in a way that like, it's, it's like, it's like water to somebody in the desert. We have not seen in Houston, Texas, a running back 
He's really gotten our attention in a long time. So cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the reporter for the Houston Chronicle covering the Houston Texans, Stephanie Stradley. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. We appreciate you taking uh, a lot of time with us here tonight on episode number 95 of the Primetime Rundown. We truly appreciate it, and I can tell you all of our viewers definitely appreciate it as well. Thank you very much for having me on, despite me liking the Houston Astros. <laughs> it's all good. Absolutely. We hope to have you back on soon. Stay safe and stay well down there and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of training camp. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Stephanie Stradley, and uh, we got a good we we got Mike a, a really good uh, a really good chat with uh, with Stephanie there, and we obviously get to see that this team is 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 pretty pesky. They've got some uh, they they've got some talent on the roster, you know. And now, you know, I got to ask you this question because I personally believe I don't think that they can get things going beyond that five six win mark, but I think that they could definitely be competitive in those five to six wins that they can uh, that they can accrue. Yeah, I think we saw a lot of flashes in 2021 from Davis Mills that, you know, he can be a real good weapon in this uh, for this team. He can be a, a really solid quarterback that can can run this offense. I think we saw some great flashes last year of uh, the capabilities of this offense. Brandon Cooks is a real good security blanket uh, for him. Uh, they seem to have a lot of wily veterans in the running back room. And if Pierce can really be this dynamic player, it could have a pretty solid run game going if the defense uh, gets it going a little bit, as Stephanie was mentioning. Mentioning they could be a, a solid team. I don't. I think your target maybe can they get to seven wins and so show some progression that that can be a, a, a good year for Houston. But I don't know if they're going to be able to get there. I think they're going to be competitive and they, they're going to uh, you know give some teams a, a run for their money, but. I think just an allusion to our, our chat uh, last week uh, about Detroit on our episode 94 extension, uh, I think it's really going to be like a last year Detroit where they wind up in a lot of really close games and on the wrong side of them because they just may not have that talent edge that other teams do and you know able to complete that last drive to win or uh, just a couple of uh, a really good special teams plays, you know, good kick here and there and whatnot that puts them over uh, the hump in that particular game. I think that's what will happen to Houston this year. Yeah, let's take a peek, though, at the other AFC AFC South team that we are covering uh, here this evening. Let's take a peek at Jake Arthur. Uh, looks as if that there might be a camera issue here, either on our side or potentially on Jake's side. Jake, can you hear us? Jake, you got us over there? All right, let's take a peek. It looks as if that Jake is uh, chatting with me here. Cameras on, uh, has us cut out. Um, so we'll definitely uh, wait until Jake can potentially hop back on. Um, we will get to that in a few short moments. So Jake, we if you can hear us, we're going to remove you out of this studio here. From what we see here is, is just a uh, a little circle here. Um, so we'll bring you in. Uh, if, if maybe we could try the audio, uh, if only audio, if there's anything, if you can talk and hear us, we, we can't hear you, unfortunately. Um, we'll remove you for now, but uh, we'll bring you back in uh, in a few short moments. If you could just try again and take a peek and see uh, what the deal is there. Um, so 
let's keep on moving forward here. And we always have a, you know, an, an alternate plan, right? Uh, we always have that alternate plan. Um, we're going to talk about the Colts in a few short moments with Jake. Uh, we'll bring him back on in a second. Let's try it again here. See if we, if we've got him here, Jake, do we have you? Does not sound like we've got Jake. Uh, let's see. Um, so he can see us here from what, from what we're gathering. He can see the graphic. Um, so yeah, definitely just uh, hop in, hop out. Uh, if you don't mind here, we won't load the video or the audio, but he could see the graphics. So that's still very odd. So, uh, we're going to remove you for now, Jake. Um, let me, uh, let, let us message him back. But for now, uh, as we did say, always have the alternate, let's go back to the New York Mets, Mike. And we always want to talk, we always want to start with, uh, what the Mets have been doing. We brought up about the Atlanta Braves, how they're fairly close, right? And we and, and when we say that they're fairly close, Mike, they're only five and a half games back. The defending World Series champs are, are just five and a half games back uh, from the New York Mets. That's a big deal. Why? Because right now where this Mets team is, they are on a hot streak and they are getting things done all the way from top to bottom. But I will tell you this, that did not stop me from putting in a little bit of a bet saying that the Atlanta Braves are going to be the division winners, courtesy of Caesars in Atlantic City. Thank you very much. Go on. Well, I think uh, I disagree with you there. I think the Mets are still going to wind up uh, pulling out uh, this division um, because I think, listen, the Braves do a great job at what all, team, all good teams should be doing, and they beat up on the really bad teams. They've done that all year and whatnot, but they've really struggled against teams above 500. And you, you just look at in their series against the Mets, they, uh, they've, you know, they've been on the really wrong side of it. The Braves, they, every time, you know, just to, to, you know, throw some praise on the Mets here. And it's, uh, it's uh, the microcosm of it is really in the series against the Braves in the last couple weeks or so is every time you think they're going to falter, and, you know, whether it's losing that 10-game lead that they had built up in the first half and into June, losing that in the matter of three weeks, and then you have a, a series down at Atlanta that's so consequential in terms of, you know, jockeying for position in the NL East that the Mets wind up getting a, a, a series win. And a couple weeks later, you know, they have five, you know, five games at City Field and whatnot. The Mets win four or five. Every time you think they're going to falter, or give up that lever of control in the NL East. They don't, and they pull out some really strong games, some really strong performances, and continue to hold this lead. I think if if the Braves have any shot of taking the NL East, um, two things have to happen. They really have to take this series this week, and they really hope uh, that is paired with the Mets uh, doing uh, pretty badly uh, the rest of the way. Uh, otherwise, I, I really don't uh, see the Mets uh, losing grip on this division. Although they are down 3 nothing as they are currently in a delay right now. Carlos Carrasco giving up a couple of runs. But I think the Mets, uh, what they've done is it's just so incredible the way they've really hit their stride as we've gone through this summer. And I'd be, I'm getting to the point where I'd be really shocked if they lose this division. Mm, well, well, well. With that being said, though, we do have Jake Arthur here with us. And uh looks like we've got a couple of things back to normal, it looks like. 
Jake Arthur, ladies and gentlemen, the Matt, the uh, deputy editor of the Horseshoe Huddle on Sports Illustrated covering the Indianapolis Colts. Jake, we've got you. Sorry for the technical issues. Uh, don't know what the deal was there, but we're happy to have you on. How are things uh, on your side of, uh, of of the country down in Indianapolis? Sure, yeah. yeah, things are going all right right now. Can't complain. How about you guys? Yeah, things are going th- things are going well. Just almost ready for football. Of course, we do out here on uh, on the East Coast and in the New York area. We've got some uh, some baseball things to uh, to to get to you know to get through. But uh, yeah. football cannot come fast enough. That I can tell you. And as we were talking about, you know, with uh, with Mike just a few moments ago with the Mets, the Yankees, of course. But we got to continue on here with our AFC South preview in the Indianapolis Colts. Let's get things started. I think the big storyline here, of course, Matt Ryan becoming the third quarterback. In as many seasons, you also had at one point, you had Andrew Luck, you then had Jacoby Brissett, then you had Carson Wentz, and now you've got Matt Ryan. What have you seen um, in, in training camp from, uh, from from Matt Ryan? Yeah, kind of a new field of training camp this year. Uh, you know, in 2020 with Phillip Rivers, that's the last time there was actually like a really effective quarterback. But uh, training camp, you know, they, they had to kind of chop down with media and fans so you couldn't really see what it was like back then and then of course um, last year Carson Wentz was out pretty much the whole summer it was Sam Ellinger and Jacob Eason and that was really hit or miss so it's weird to have like a fully functioning quarterback and offense in there Uh, but no things look great Uh, Ryan is really kind of taking charge he is they they really love him for his leadership and he's shown that Uh, he's a coach on the field runs the offense beautifully. Uh, like the, the first couple of days of practice ended 10 minutes early uh, because he had everything going so up-tempo. So, so far, so good. They, they can't really say enough good things about him. So, you know, we, we bring up obviously how there have there has been, as long as Ryan has been in Atlanta Falcons uniform, we go all the way back to Roddy White. We then have Julio Jones. We then have Calvin Ridley. We At one point, we had Mohamed Sanu. And now, Matt Ryan does not have uh, does not have T.Y. Hilton right now. Uh, you know, he's right now a free agent. Will we see a reunion? We don't know. We'll have to ask you that question later on. But he's got Michael Pittman Jr., who's looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, this is a, a different different type of offense that 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 he's got around him with the you know with the players and everything like that um you know it, it, it's tough because now jack doyle retired as well mo Ali cox we expect him to be the starting tight end um what are the what do the weapons look like around matt ryan we know the running back room is absolutely stacked we'll get to that later on but um what do the weapons look like for matt ryan yeah, so the the receiver group is kind of an unheralded bunch. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., of course, is, is excellent. He's coming off his first 1,000-yard season, and he looks like the alpha dog so far in training camp. He looks fine. It almost looks like he's going to fall into 90 receptions this year, so he looks like he'll be all right. Uh, the rest of the guys, you know, Paris Campbell, if he stays healthy, he looks really, really good so far. Alec Pierce. He can get some separation. He's big and he, he's sudden and fast. Usually has pretty sure hands, but he's a rookie. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him play against someone that's not a lockdown corner because they've had Stephon Gilmore glued to him like all summer, and that's not easy for a rookie. Uh, he had a tough matchup with Kyrie Ingram or uh, Elam and the Bills last week. So he should be productive at some point. But really, you have to look at these pass catchers as a group. You have to include the running backs and the tight ends, uh, like you mentioned. 
Drew Ogletree, uh, he, he was a sixth round uh, draft pick this year. Honestly, he looks like their best tight end so far. Uh, Mo Alley Cox will be the starter, unquestioned. Uh, but Ogletree really looks like the most intriguing guy out there. Kylan Granson has looked really good the last couple weeks as well. Uh, but Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor are going to be heavily involved in the passing game, especially Hines. You know, he, he's had two years where he's had 63 receptions, and it looks like he he's poised to probably break that yet again. So I wouldn't be surprised if Hines gets 65 balls on the year or whatnot. But when you're looking at the Colts' weapons, you kind of have to take away the fact that the receiver group doesn't look all that deep, and you have to look at them as a pass-catching group as a whole. Mike, go ahead. Take it away. Yeah. Hey, Jake. Thanks once again for coming on with us to break down the Colts. Just going, We talked about the offensive side of the ball. Let's go to the defensive side. And, and we saw the Colts, obviously, this offseason go out and trade for uh, Yannick Ngankwe uh, from the Las Vegas Raiders. They add a, a real impact pass rusher, or they, they hope that can translate over mm-hmm. uh, to Indianapolis to an already solid defense. We have this sort of renewed emphasis in terms uh, on the defensive line in terms of getting to the quarterback, getting that pass rush. How much of an impact can uh, he bring to this Colts defense and, and make them a much better unit this year? Yeah, he's honestly been one of the most consistent pass rushers in the NFL since he came in in 2016, I think it was. I think the status, he's had like eight sacks at least every year since he's been in the league. So. He, he strings together consistency, and that's what the Colts need. Not that they didn't have any talent last year, but there were games where they didn't even touch the quarterback. And that's, you know, that adding someone like Ngakwe, it not only is supposed to boost the pass rush, but they need that, that number one pass rusher that they can rely on. And uh, he's going he's gonna to help some of the guys they already have and vice versa, like DeForest Buckner. Uh, there will be less attention that has to be paid to him. Uh, same thing with Quiddy Pay, second-year defensive end that they really expect to, to see a second-year jump from. So adding Ngakwe in there just kind of helps command attention, draw attention away from other guys. You know, if if they need to close out a game in the fourth quarter, you know, they, they blew so many leads and they fell apart in so many close game situations last year. The pass rush can be a, a big difference maker there. And adding a guy like Stephon Gilmore at corner as well, that that will also help because it it makes the coverage last longer. So a lot of moves they've made this season or this offseason have, have really been centered around getting to the quarterback. You bring up the fact about the Stephon Gilmores of the world, mm-hmm. Yannick Ngakwe's of the world. You also have a pair of Eagles, too, That and the reason I'm saying that is just because I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, but Rodney McLeod, Nick Foles, obviously. We know they were a part of big, obviously, Nick Foles, undoubtedly. Frank Reich, they're re, you know, reuniting once again. Um, Rodney McLeod, a big part of the Super Bowl 52 team. Um, you know, these high-profile names that the Colts are bringing in around the guys like uh, the DeForest Buckners, the – I guess we can call him now. Uh, what is what is uh, what does he want to go by? Shaquille or Shaq? What are uh, we going by? It uh, looks like Shaquille so far. Okay, yeah. so so you know, so now, so one of the best linebackers in the NFL to put certain guys around him, and and it looks as if that they are doing it. They're doing a solid job with that. Um, you know, do, do you, you know now that they've got these 
high-profile names. Not the players, the names, though. Does it really matter? Do you think that from what you have seen in training camp so far um, that, you know, it's going to be these high-profile names that are going to make the difference, or is it going to be uh, the younger the younger guys? I do expect some of those higher-profile guys to kind of carry the torch because it's, it's what they've done. You know, DeForest Buckner has had an all-pro season with the Colts. Darius Leonard's been an all-pro every year. Kenny Moore just made his first Pro Bowl. Um, it's a really opportunistic group. You know, Stephon Gilmore, he looks – you can't say he looks like the defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore, because he was otherworldly back then, but he looks outstanding in like a true lockdown corner. In Gakwe, you know, if, if you bank on eight, nine, ten sacks. So those guys should carry their defense, but they do still have young guys that can contribute. Uh, Julian Blackman at free safety – He's coming off a torn Achilles midway through last year. Uh, he wasn't even on the pup list to start training camp, and he's looked really good, like outstanding. So fingers crossed that he can kind of take the next step. Quiddy Pay is another one I mentioned. You know, they, they expect to see a big jump from him and having Buckner and, and Gakwe on the same line, making it so he's not going to get double team. That should should certainly help. Um, Bobby Okereke. He's uh, he's going to be their will linebacker moving forward. Really rangy. Uh, Isaiah Rogers is a ball hawk. So they've got some young guys that really ought to be paid attention to. And, you know, if they can have some team success, then I think a lot more of those guys will get notoriety. But a, a lot a lot of guys on teams kind of become unsung heroes if their teams aren't doing well. So. But Colts will need to make some noise, get into the postseason in order for these guys to, to kind of get some recognition. Mike, take it away. Oh, Jake, speaking of the postseason, where do you really expect this team to be in terms of win-loss, where they finish in the division, and what's the biggest reason for, for why they'll reach those expectations? What could be the reasons why they wouldn't? Uh, I, think a, I think a good number for them – to look at is probably about 11 and six. Uh, they really need to, they need to make the playoffs first and foremost. There's zero reason for them not to, even if something happened to Matt Ryan, they, you know, they got someone like Nick Foles to help keep the ship afloat. You know, if, if Jonathan Taylor is being Jonathan Taylor, then there's no reason Nick Foles can't help keep them alive and get to the postseason. essentially is, is what the hope would be. Um, but there's really there's really no reason they shouldn't make it into the second, third round of, of the playoffs. If you look at the AFC last year, there's some really good playoff matchups. But did anyone expect Cincinnati to be the AFC's representative in the Super Bowl? No. Absolutely not. It kind of shows you that it's it's anyone's game. The Colts demolished the Bills during the regular season last year. Like the Bills never had a chance in that game. And that was a lot of people's favorite to represent the AFC. So I think the AFC is still wide open. I'm not going to call the the Colts. I'm not going to say that they should be in the Super Bowl, but it's not far-fetched considering the division. No one has a stranglehold on the division and is like a juggernaut in there. It's it's kind of wide open. These teams tend to beat up on each other throughout the year. So um, as far as divisional expectations go, I think it'll be down to the Colts and, and Titans like it is at the end of the year every year. I think it's finally the time the time for the Colts to, to get it. Uh, it always seems to come down to the last couple weeks with them. 
But just looking at this roster, there's not many like glaring holes, at least none that should be a huge issue and keep them from winning games. Uh, so there's really there's really no reason the Colts shouldn't finally get the AFC South back this year. Okay, and especially too with the Titans also losing AJ Brown too. They lost a whole yep. bunch of guys. Um, you know that you I'm guessing believe that the Titans cannot get back to where they I guess where they have been the last few years when you look at this roster Jake and you say to yourself about again we we bring we we I'll bring back up the running back room mm-hmm. you look at Jonathan Taylor Naeem Hines Philip Lindsay Tyson Williams who for those that don't know Tyson Williams took over last year in Baltimore after all of those injuries that had gone down to Dobbins, to Gus Edwards, uh, the, the, the list goes on and Tyson Williams was there. He played, he played nicely. And now you've got this, this, this quadruple, I I don't want to call it a quadruple beast, Jake. I think that's definitely far-fetched, but you look at someone like a Philip Lindsay who has a lot of not only experience in the NFL, but has a lot of success or a decent amount of success, let's call it. Um, you know, between those two, Williams and Lindsay, who is the one that you would say that is on the bubble right now? On the bubble would be Williams. Lindsay seems pretty safe at this point. Uh, the, the Colts had a rookie undrafted guy last year, Deion Jackson, who is really good at special teams. And that's what kept him on the roster. Uh, Marlon Mack, who a lot of people know of by now, you know, he was a thousand yard rusher previously. Yep. Deion Jackson kept Marlon Mack off the field in inactive on game days because Jackson was so good at special teams. And Jackson seems like a complete afterthought this summer with Philip Lindsay and Tyson Williams out there. And Lindsay has just looked like a really good runner. Like the, the issues there were in Houston and Miami where it just, where it was like, what happened to this guy? I think he must just fit the Colts really well. They, they do a lot of zone run-based things, which he excelled at in Denver. Uh, so I, I think he's just a good fit and, and vice versa because uh, he has looked really good. He's he's busted several long runs in, in practice and things as well. I thought he looked really good Saturday against the Bills. So I, without saying he's an absolute lock, I think Lindsey is pretty safe. And if it's coming down to Deion Jackson getting his old spot back or Tyson Williams, I would give it to Williams as well. I wouldn't be shocked if they only carried three running backs, but at some point they would they would want to bring a fourth in. So I, I think Williams makes it as well. My last question for you before we bring in uh, our good friend Evan Winter from A to Z Sports. Um, you know, new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley replaces Matt Eberflus, who took the head coaching job out in uh, Chicago. Uh, Gus Bradley, we know we know of him from his time down in Jacksonville. We also know his time down in uh, or out in Seattle as well, out out in uh, out in L.A. with the Chargers. Um, Gus Bradley has uh, has been a lot of places. Jake and you know his main focus obviously has been def- has been defense the head coaching gig did not work out it was an absolute disaster um but you know what does he bring that Matt Eberflus didn't yeah so a couple big things uh Bradley is known for getting the most out of some pass rushers which is huge because it's something Eberflus's group just didn't 
the, the Colts had some talented pass rushers on the on the team that just needed to be developed, and they never quite got there. But under Bradley, that's kind of one of his specialties. Uh, but another thing he brings along with him is a really experienced staff. Uh, Ron Miles is one of the the most highly regarded defensive backs coaches in the NFL. He came along with Bradley, Richard Smith, coaching linebackers for a million years. He's there now. Uh, so he brought with him a really good staff. Um, I think the pass rush is going to be the biggest thing, but also more man coverage. Uh, there was a lot of time. It was very, very frustrating where there would be key times where the Colts were just playing this off zone or this these soft zones, the cornerbacks not pressing the receivers and just – quarterbacks would just eat the Colts defense alive sometimes. And it, it seems so avoidable just by playing man coverage, like get just disrupt the receivers a little bit, you know? And I, they, they really were leaning into the bend, but don't break thing. And sometimes it broke them. Uh, but with Bradley, it looks like there's going to be a lot more man coverage, uh, a lot of single high cover three stuff. So the good news is the Colts, I, I guess maybe just, Chris Ballard specifically, general manager Chris Ballard, he has liked this style of defense. And so he's been collecting players that fit the scheme for a while. And so now Bradley is inheriting a defense with a bunch of guys that already fit into his scheme. Plus they added Ngakwe and Gilmore and they drafted someone like Nick Cross. You know, they've, they've got a lot of guys that fit this defense really well. So they should hit the ground running with Bradley. There there's, not a ton of work that he's got to do to get them going. Well, we will definitely see what happens with the Indianapolis Colts because I have them as my favorite to win the AFC South. I had them last year, but that was mm-hmm. just, I guess, my former Eagle fandom in me in terms yeah. of Carson Wentz because, you know, we all know how that disaster happened, and I know yeah. Colts fans don't want to hear that name ever again forever <laughs> in existence. I don't blame everybody there. I can't stand them now either. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Arthur, the deputy editor of the Horseshoe Huddle on Sports Illustrated covering the Indianapolis Colts. Jake, thank you so much for coming on, and we hope to have you back on sometime during football season. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for uh, dealing with my technical difficulties as I work off my phone here. <laughs> uh, it's all good. You enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of training camp, and we will see you soon. Yeah, thanks. Take care, guys. All right, you too. Well, you know, as I say, this man needs no introduction, obviously, because, you know, not only is he a friend of our brand, he's also a friend of mine as well. And, you know, it, it's it's wild what, you know, it, it, it it's funny. We, we just we, we message some some folks and we say, who is the best guy to come on here? And, you know, for whatever. And I, I, I say this, you know, not biasedly, Mike, because, you know, that there's that guy Evan that's it is seriously just you know the the great oh there he is oh okay so I guess maybe it is bias I don't know ladies and gentlemen Evan Winter managing editor of A to Z Sports covering the Tampa Bay Bucks Evan good to see you my man how are things uh down in Nashville it's going swell thanks for having me on guys always happy to be here and honestly that just perked me up because I read about a a woman getting in South Carolina getting killed by an alligator while I was waiting to come on and also listening. So that introduction definitely uh, just perked up my spirits. Wow. Wow. <laughs> How about that for an intro, huh? Well, I mean, <laughs> listen, bi- do you feel a little different about that bias now? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I will say this though. It's, it's wild because we can go from sports to news in a quick second. We could talk about the long Island shark attacks that we continuously God. see out here. Right. It's yeah. nuts. 
listen, I'll be honest with you. Cold showers are good enough for me now. I'm not <laughs> looking to be, you know, a great whites lunch out here in uh, in uh, at, at Jones Beach. We're good there. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's good to have you back, Evan. We're extremely grateful to, uh, you know, welcome you as the, uh, you know, NFC South, uh, representative to, uh, to preview some things, especially with the bucks, because there's so much to talk about. We're going to have you on all the way, uh, into our kudos as well, because, you know, we got to We got to include you there. Uh, and we don't, and we don't take that lightly either. The kudos always, we always, we, we have certain people on for kudos and you're, you're on there now. Love that. And you're, <laughs> you're taking the place for Ian because he's on paternity leave. So, okay. um, yeah, so let's get things started here. Um, you know, the, the big thing, obviously Tom Brady, we know what happened in the off season, retiring, unretiring. Uh, he's left the team for a couple of weeks now. We don't know what the deal is. What, what's going on down there? Yeah, so at the end of the day, it, it's some kind of plan that him and Giselle and company, you know, their kids, uh, it's probably, we, we don't know for sure, but it's probably something big that they planned whenever he retired in the first place before he unretired. And, you know, Tom Brady's Tom Brady and Giselle Boonchin is Giselle Boonchin. But at the end of the day, there's some places out there that have like no cancellation policies. You know, you book a certain trip, you're going to a certain place. With them, it's probably like, you know, a trip to some like remote island with like extinct lizards, you know, like or nearly extinct like animal sea life and all this other stuff. You can only go there on the third moon of every September, you know, some kind of crazy crap like that. So uh, at the end of the day, but in all seriousness, um, he's just had some kind of prior family issue or not issue uh, uh, trip planned. And Ian Rappaport, the one thing that was officially confirmed is he, nothing's going on personally with him health-wise. Nothing's going on uh, personally or health-wise with anybody close to him. So it just sounds like some fun in the sun for the family. Uh, but when you throw in all the Miami stuff that led up to it, the investigation with the legal tampering and you know the docking of draft picks and finding out that Tom Brady not only spoke to the Dolphins, but he spoke to them about playing for them in 2022 – in December of 2021, when the Bucks were right in the middle of a playoff run, you know, it's just – it looks weird. It definitely looks weird. But as they all often say, optics don't contain the whole truth. But the optics certainly are weird at best in this whole situation. Yeah, that is definitely something to keep our eyes peeled for because, you know, especially when – and I didn't know that. December of 21, he's in the middle of – he's in the middle of a postseason or he's about to be in the postseason towards the latter portion of the regular season. And he's having these conversations. It just shows it. It just, and again, this is, this is no bias. This is, this is just the truth. Steven Ross needs to sell that team because he needs to get that stripped from him. It's a disaster down, uh, down there. Um, You know, continuing on here, you, you, you look at, you look at what, the I guess the offensive line is going to look like in front of Tom Brady and we all know the right side is is all squared away yep. Shaq Mason former uh, former guard for the New England Patriots so Tom reunites with uh, with an old pal he still got his tri- he still has Tristan Wirfs over there on the on the right side on the right tackle side uh, but now Ryan Jensen the starting center uh knee injury in camp latest on him what do we've got uh, from him they still don't really know. Um, they say the swelling still has. This is what Todd Bowles said on Sunday, I believe, after the game, uh, after the Miami game on Saturday. 
Uh, he said the swelling still hasn't gone down far enough for them to really do the tests that are needed or required, rather, to get a full diagnosis. However, at this uh, game on Saturday, Jensen was walking around. Now, he did have a, uh, a walking boot on, or sorry, a leg brace on, um, but he wasn't on crutches. And, you know, he's a big dude. You know, he's a tall dude. So he's got to have something to support that extra weight if both legs aren't going. And the fact that he wasn't on crutches is a decent sign. And there's been some whispers going around that as long as Tampa Bay makes it to the postseason, obviously, we could see a Vita Vea type like comeback where Vea broke his ankle, I believe, or it was like a fibula or something. It was, it was a lower bone in his leg. Um, against the Broncos in week four of the 2020 season or week, yeah. Yeah, week four. And he came back uh, to play in the NFC Championship game. Granted, it was limited snaps, but he also played in the Super Bowl. And he really was a key factor in a few plays that helped decide those games. So, you know, Ryan Jensen's 2022 might not be over. Mm, that's definitely something that I am sure a lot of Bucks fans oh, are yeah. really hoping for, no doubt. Mike, take it away. Yeah, hey, everyone, once again, great to have you on as yeah, always. Man. But I mean, circling back to the, the Brady situation, we certainly have a lot of uh, a couple of new wide receivers in the room. Uh, obviously, beyond Evans and, and Godwin, you'll have a little bit uh, of a different look uh, in terms of, of the wide receivers, the weapons that Brady has at his disposal. Is there really any concern going through the rest of the preseason that uh, in terms of chemistry and a quarterback building the chemistry with the rest of the receivers that uh, there could be a little bit of a, a rough start in that department for the Buccaneers this season. With it's, definitely, it's definitely possible. A lot of it depends on what happened with Chris Godwin in the first couple of weeks. Now he didn't start on the PUP. Um, obviously he's you know back to practicing. He's not participating in full team drills just yet or 11 on 11s, uh, but he's still, he's looking good. Let's just put it that way. Now, if he doesn't play the first couple of weeks, then, yeah, it also depends on what's going on with Russell Gage and his hamstring right now. He hurt his hamstring back on Friday or Thursday of last week, one of the two, and he's been out since. He's been day-to-day. Granted, he's supposed to be a big part of this offense, so the Bucs could just be holding him back. Mike Evans hasn't practiced since he tweaked his hamstring um, a couple of weeks ago, but he does that every year. Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times made a joke. Now, granted, you never want to joke about a player when he gets hurt, but, you know, he's like, oh, it's right about time for Mike Evans' annual hamstring injury. (laughs) Sure enough, that's what it was later. So, um, either way, there could be some bumps because when you look at the guys past the top four and Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, now while three of those four should be available come week one, um, Tyler Johnson did not step up last year whenever Antonio Brown uh, was hurt. Um, he's looked good on Saturday, but he's still got a lot to prove. Scotty Miller has just been nothing but a one-trick pony. Had a terrible year last year. Did not Now, granted, injuries had something to do with that, but still did not take that step forward. And then you've got a lot of guys who have made plays but have never fully consistently proven themselves in a Cyril Grayson, a Jalen Darden, a Brashad Perriman, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a chance where, and like I said, a lot of it depends on what happens with Chris Godwin. And a lot of it also depends on how much time both Tom Brady and Russell Gage miss practice-wise between now and week one. But you could definitely be looking at some off issues, some some chemistry timing uh, disruptions between the quarterback position and this receiver group early on. But once week three, four rolls around, I wouldn't worry about it. 
Yeah, so really fo good thing you mentioned Gage, really focusing in on him. They obviously brought him in from Atlanta. If all things work out, he's able to get healthy, get, get some reps earlier on this season. What's really the best expectation that the Buccaneers really see on him and really want to unlock that we only really saw flashes of in Atlanta? He could easily lead this team in receptions. I mean, now I'm not going to say yards just because he's going to be used in so many different ways. He can line up both inside and outside just like Chris Godwin. Um, the Buccaneers, if you think about their top four receivers and Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, and Russell Gage, all four guys can play any position on the field. You can line up all three in a certain – you can do a three-by-one set, line up all three on one side of the field in a certain situation, line up one to the boundary, have your X on the other side. You could swap that formation of three around however many you want, and you could take a guy over from this guy over here, your X, swap him over here, make a new X over there, and nothing's going to change, like except for your defensive alignments because they're all a little bit different in size. So, I mean, like – they could literally play the same four receivers throughout the entire game, just swap them off at different points, depending on how many receivers they have at the same time. Uh, Russell Gage is going to be out of the slot a lot, especially early with Chris Godwin healing. Um, he's also going to be on the outside, so he's going to have those quick, easy receptions as well as your chances for some big plays. But at the end of the day, Tom Brady said it in June or May. He said that Russell Gage is going to have to have a big year. I mean, he said it himself. So when Tom Brady's already talking about you like that and it's, you know, June or May, whenever it was, then, you know, dude's going to have a big year. So if you're if you've got your eye on fantasy this year and you're looking for a good bargain, I've been seeing Russell Gage go in like nine or tenth in the ninth or tenth round. That's going to be an absolute steal. I can tell you right now he will be a wide receiver, two for whoever drafts him. So keep an eye on that one for sure. And maybe even a wide receiver one in some leagues. Oh, that's you, man. Wow. You, yeah, he's going to he's going to he's going to ball this year. I can guarantee you that. Now, that's that's assuming, like you said, everything goes right. Yeah. But, you know, everybody stays healthy, all that good stuff. But, yeah, he's going to have a tremendous year. I mean, they paid him three years, three thirty million dollars. They, they know what he can do. And, you know, they know Mike Evans time is going down. Uh, you know, they know Chris is on a limited time. He only signed a three-year deal. So they've got to have another guy to rely on in this in this passing offense, and he's going to be that guy. He's going to be yeah. a huge, huge factor. And also no no guarantees either on Julio Jones either because yeah. ever since he was traded from Atlanta and his, you know, his time uh, is pretty much gone, you know, trajectory down. And in, t in, in Tennessee, it, he, you know, he wasn't used right. He wasn't, you know, things weren't great. We saw some, and, and, and I use the word some lightly, some flashes, um, you know, of him, what he was able to do. But yeah. Evan, you know, there, there's some, obviously some players that have come and gone. And one of the players that have come into the fold uh, is Akeem Hicks. And, you know, now Dominic and Sue gone, you've got Hicks. They signed him to a, a, a you know, pretty big, a, a pretty big deal. Uh, from Chicago, what does he bring that that Intomikin suit did not bring? A little bit more pass rush. Um, well, you could probably even say a lot more pass rush. Intomikin suit had six sacks last year, but a lot of them are just more the result of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, like let's say Shaq Barrett would flush out a quarterback and he'd take off out of pocket, and Dominican would be right there to take him down. Situations like that. Now, granted, he played well. You know, he was solid. He even played through, I think, a. Uh, a torn PCL throughout the season. It's whatever. It's whatever Zach Wilson suffered last year that caused him to miss four games. Right. Dominican played an entire season through it. Not saying anything on Zach Wilson, just showing how tough and Dominican Sue is. Um, but 
Yeah, Akeem, when healthy, now he's another guy that's going to have to stay healthy. His biggest issue the last few years has been his health. But when he's healthy, he is one of the most dynamic interior defenders in the NFL. I wouldn't say top five. I would say probably around top ten, maybe top eight at the highest. Uh, But he can stop the run. He's going to bring a tremendous amount of attitude and fire to that defensive line. Sound familiar, like in Dominican Sue. And then he also, mm-hmm. like I said, he's got more pass rush ability in him next to Akeem or next to uh, Vita Vea and then next to Will Golson. And when they sprinkle in Logan Hall, their first round, of, yep. uh, their first pick of the draft, which was the first pick of the second round. That's always fun to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever he subs in on nickel packages, Man, that defensive line is going to be unreal for this Bucks team. I mean, this front seven, I wouldn't say it's as good as the front seven that helped them win the Super Bowl in 2020. But if Joe Tryon-Chinka can take that step this year like he's supposed to and Akeem Hicks can stay healthy, it'll be damn close. Logan Hall, first pick as you brought up. Second round, number 33 overall uh, with the trade from Jacksonville for uh, the number 27 overall pick. And then the, uh, the bucks got a few more picks uh, in that deal. Of course, uh, Evan, my last question before we wrap our show up here tonight and you know, you'll be, you'll be sticking around with us, which is awesome. Um, Jordan Whitehead gone now up here uh, with the jets. Um, you know, now things are a little different. He started every game or pretty much every game last season for the bucks. Now you've got a 2019 third round pick out of Kentucky Mike Edwards, he's lined up to take over next to uh, next to Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, and also keep in mind too, he was suspended three games, COVID issue, uh, December of twenty one. Um, what do we expect out of Mike Edwards there at the free safety position? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him this year because the Bucks brought in Logan Ryan as well, uh, former Rutgers guy who played for the Patriots, as y'all know, and played for the Giants as mm-hmm. well as the Titans down here. Um, Right now, the reports out of camp are that Logan's been running mostly at free safety a lot with the ones, and then Antoine's been playing down closer in the box, which makes a lot more sense because Antoine, while he's pretty good in coverage, he's more of a better of a run defender. He's a physical safety. He's a really good blitzer, uh, and he can line up in the slot at times, and he can cover tight ends at at times. And they've been talking about Mike Edwards as been almost a rotational player in the nickel packages, which makes sense, and he would play nickel or – free safety and they've been talking about deploying a lot of big nickel you know three safeties but five defensive backs total um they've been talking about deploying a lot of those packages and having mike edwards so in terms of expectations you know this this is a contract year for him it's crazy because only carlton davis and antoine winfield are the only two defensive backs on the roster right now that will still have a contract after this year like a lot of, and now well, I take that back. Zion McCollum, the rookie they just drafted in the fifth round, he'll still be. But in terms of starters, they're the only two starters that will still have a contract next year. So this is a big year for Mike Edwards, and it's his year. He's flashed so much in the past. The dude's an absolute ball hawk. And when he's come in to sub in for Jordan Whitehead or an Antoine, you know, who's players that have been hurt, he's played really well, but he's never shown that he could be a full time starter. And we don't know why that is, so on and so forth. Um, even though Jordan Whitehead was great for the Bucks, you still saw more playmaking ability with Mike Edwards in terms of ball hawking. Regardless, right now, it's tough to say what to expect. I would say expect him to play probably about 45% of snaps, mixing on these big nickel packages, getting the slot there from time to time. 
Um, and then if he can wrestle away the starting position from Logan Ryan, then I think right now he's got an uphill battle to climb. But I do still think that you will see him contribute a lot just right now. I just don't really have a good beat on that, man. Mm. Well, that is definitely telling. That is telling yeah. because the secondary has, uh, you know, uh, we've we've seen it with Carlton Davis. We've seen him get burned. We've seen uh, Jamel Dini's look pretty good when he's healthy. But you know, now no Jordan Whitehead. That could be uh, that could be a big deal uh, heading into. Uh, but as you said, maybe some experience might be able to take over. And uh, if Edwards can get things uh, can get things going, you know, Mike and and you know, we obviously know that. Um, you know, Evan's here with us now. He's sticking around for our uh, for our kudos. But now, for our viewers that don't know, last year obviously we had our football picks. We had well, we're actually starting fantasy football this year with uh, with Decent Observer and everything like that. But the main thing is our picks. And as Mike knows, and now Evan will know, um, the as as pathetic as this sounds, the the primetime rundown lost to a bunch of wrestling guys. And it, it and 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 now it it is it was sad. It was very sad because as Mike knows, you know, it grinds his gears and he had to air out his grievances, all the above with that. Ian held us on his back. But the reason why we're saying this here is because now we have brought in our good friend Evan Winter to join our fan our, our football picks. Um, and you know, now we might, we, we have brought in Evan to now, we were going to have to hop on his back to try and get, you know, and try and beat the, uh, the essential wrestling podcast guys. So, uh, Evan, I'm extremely grateful to have you aboard with our picks and to pretty much, you know, you know like I said, you're already a part of the Eastern observer family, but now you're just, you know, joining in uh, even more now with, uh, with this. So now we're, we're all a team here. All three of us we're we're on the same team and, uh, you know, it's we we need to we're going to need your help to beat these wrestling guys. And it really it shouldn't be that much of an issue or a problem. But I guess I was the one to bring the team down. So thank you. Yeah, I know. Joey blames uh, everything on all of us. But yet he was the one who was last under 500. record. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness well all i know is like i did say we uh we broke that news there evan will be with us it's going to be tons of fun we'll of course be bringing uh it'll be the survivor pool picks type thing and you know obviously once once you lose uh it just goes in the loss column and i can tell you this is that evan will not he'll be tw he'll be uh let's see he'll be five five no you know what i'll i'll, I'll go i'll go the high i'll say he's 10 games over 500 uh down, oh uh, down the stretch. it should be good just build um, me up to tear me down, man. I can see it now. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a fantastic show here with uh, with Evan Winter and uh, and Jake Arthur as well as Stephanie Stradley. Um, but Mike, let's start with you on uh, on the kudos. Let's uh, our show is complete. Mike, go ahead with your kudos. Well, my kudos is not as much kudos, really, an exciting uh, announcement, of course, for all of my soccer fans out there. We are less than one hundred days until the World Cup gets going uh, over in November over in Qatar. So can't wait for that. See the U.S. back into it uh, after missing out four years ago. So can't wait for the World Cup coming up really, really soon. Now, how about this one? How about my kudos? We're going to save the best for last with Evan, but my kudos goes to the Little League World Series. And why? Because Long Island's very own Massapequa Coast takes down Tom's River South. And keep in mind, too, we know Tom's River, New Jersey, ladies and gentlemen. That is the home of Todd Frazier. They won the Little League World Series many, many years ago. And the first time in 47 years 
a Long Island team makes it to uh, to the Little League World Series out in Williamsport. And the best part about the entire thing, the kid threw a no-hitter. The kid threw a no-hitter against Tom's River South. Unbelievable stuff. And last but not least, my good man, Evan Winter, what is your kudos? My kudos has to be Zach Wilson and no, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, my kudos <laughs> is to the Baltimore Ravens for continuing to extend their ridiculously stupid preseason streak uh, win or win streak rather to 22 games. And they did it by beating the Nashville, Tennessee Titans. So yeah, I got to troll my own hometown on that one, but the Titans have always, you know, been looking to uh, squander any opportunity that the Ravens get at a chance at any kind of NFL uh, legendary status. And unfortunately just about every single time, no wait, well, every time except for the 2018-2019 playoffs when they beat Lamar Jackson, the number one seed Ravens, they have failed to do so. So my kudos goes out to the Ravens doing what they do, waxing the Titans and making NFL history on the way while doing so. <laughs> well, now my next question, my last question to you is, is that I'm assuming Saturday you will be out at Nissan Stadium? Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, I will be there. I'm actually going to the first um, – they have two joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday – um, I'll be at the Wednesday one. I will not be at the Thursday one. Okay. But yeah, then I'll be at the game on Saturday. That is fantastic. And of course, uh, our, our good friend Brian Morales from uh, from Wagner College says, "Come on, Evan, leave Zach attack alone. He's hurting." Well, <laughs> go I'll out of bounds, it. Zach. Go out of bounds, and you won't be hurting as much. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> well, did this you see Justin now- Fields? Did you see Justin Fields on his scramble this year? He went straight out of bounds. That's what you need to do, Zach. As a, your 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 mom's friend isn't. On the field, she's over in the sidelines. Go <laughs> off into the go off into the stands. That's where she's at. <laughs> oh, this is fantastic! This is this is this is this is fantastic. We are so happy to have Evan Winter here with us, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like the, inter- feel like the internet was waiting to make that meme, and nobody jumped on it, and finally yeah. Evan filled that void. <laughs> like, just have a picture of his mom's friend, just like in the stands, like doing the like "come to me" thing or something like that. Like, it's so easy, man. Like. I just, I don't have the skills to do it. That's all. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, the essential wrestling podcast is back. Episode number 114 is back presented to you by pro wrestling, pick'em.com. Be sure to join Al Carl, John DeCani, John Smith, and Gary me heavy for all things wrestling. They will be uh, previewing the NXT heat wave pay-per-view tomorrow night. That will be taking place uh, tomorrow night. I think around eight o'clock. Uh, from Orlando on USA Network. So it should be a ton of fun with those guys. And of course, uh, be sure to join us two more times on Monday night, all the way until August 29th, because ladies and gentlemen, summer is almost over. Yes, I know it is disgusting. And then we will be moving back to our Friday show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Observe Eastern for all the details and everywhere uh, on social media, on Facebook, on uh, on YouTube, as well as uh, Instagram as well. We'll be getting that uh, page back up sooner rather than later. Same thing goes with, of course, uh, our subscribers on the audio platforms. We cannot thank you enough for listening to us there. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Odyssey. And for all of those that are listening, if you'd like to see all of our beautiful faces, please search The Eastern Observer on YouTube and hit that subscribe button for us. Ladies and gentlemen, for Mike Zabo, for Evan Winter, and of course, Ian Schreier, who is on the final few weeks of paternity paternity leave, cannot say that straight. Uh, for all of us here at the Eastern Observer and the Blackjack Media Group, we cannot 
thank you enough for joining us on episode number 95. We will see you next week for episode 96.